Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Hey everyone, this is Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and today I am joined with three individuals from a company called ProSeal Corp, uh, Jeff, Tall, and Jim, and uh, Jeff, why don't we start with you? Why don't you give us a little bit about your background and who you are and how you got to be where you are? Sure. Um, my name is Jeff Elster. Um, I cut my teeth in the roofing industry. Um, and waterproofing, and that's how I found out about ProSale Corp. Um, Jim actually called me one day and um, told me about this new product for the mining industry that they came up with, and within five minutes, I said, I'm in. Um, so that was about a year and a half ago. Um, like I said, before that, I grew up pretty much roofing, waterproofing, um, in small town in Northwest Ohio. And uh, I met Jim through the roofing industry. And then in turn, that's how I met Tal, came on board. Oh, okay. And Jim, how about yourself? Uh, my background, uh, Brian, uh, is so probably 32, 33 years in uh, commercial roofing and waterproofing. Uh, almost morning fiberglass. I worked for them. I worked for uh, a division of General Tire, Genflex. It was a single ply, a PVC and and a thermoplastic old and TPO type roofing. Also was a Western Regional Manager for a division of Carlisle, uh, the largest uh, commercial roofing and waterproofing manufacturer. Uh, I was with their installation division, the polyisocyanate installation division, hunter panels. And I was with them for well, around 12 years. And I've been with associated with ProSil for 25 years or more. And been involved with uh, Tal Brammer and the, the ProSil nanotechnologies, uh, both in waterproofing and concrete restoration. I've been to the plants and facilities that uh, ProSeal has in China and uh, known Tal for a very, very long time and he's a, he's a genius when it comes to nanos and nanotechnologies and he called me up about, uh, well, maybe two years ago and said, hey, we've advanced our ProSeal Eco soil stabilization system, which has been out for over 20 years and we're going to be focusing on the mining industry and trying to move everything forward with a solution for tailings. So this is going to be yeah. it's going to be interesting to to find out more about how the, the jump from roofing to mining. Specifically <laughs> yeah, yeah, tailings. gone from uh, gone gone from uh, the top of the world literally because I've been on top of the Sears Tower. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Put roofs on, yeah. on on many many very very tall buildings and hmm. and now uh, now I'm in the ground about as deep as you can go. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, and everywhere in between. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and Tall, how about yourself? Well, I started uh, 
life. Uh, I'm a fellow of the Society of American Military Engineers. I have an MBA from Foster School of Business, University of Washington. I've been designing products for about 46 years. Uh, I've designed over 250 products and systems in my time, and they range everything from uh, things like these fellows start talking about waterproofing and roofing to concrete repair, structural repair, uh, some of the flagship projects I've worked on over the years, Panama Canal, uh, Three Gorges Dam in China, uh, Empire State Building, the Lady Liberty, and uh, actually we saved the faces of the uh, presidents on Mount Rushmore. And so we've done a lot of very unique uh, projects over the years. And we started developing really what we used to call back before nano was a word, uh, what we called super subparticles. And our mission when we started out as a company was to develop green, what, what they call today green technology. Back in those days, we wanted to make environmentally friendly technology. Um, that sort of became passe and now it's green technology. But everything that we manufacture over the years has been in the green venue. And uh, so we started developing soil stabilization well over 20 years ago. Uh, the problem was everything that we ran into out in the field uh, was passe. What got our interest was our, when we first entered China many, many years ago. Um, they were doing construction and what they were doing is literally reclaiming the ocean and making land yeah. uh, and they yeah. had yeah. some serious soil stabilization problems right. so we started developing right. soil stabilization and we found the problems with it in terms of uh, the polymeric behaviors of it just weren't robust enough uh, so we just kept drilling down and drilling down and we made a lot of nano what what back then we called super subparticles, nanoparticles back then. And so we started to apply that to our stabilization process. So probably some of the biggest questions we get asked are, what are nanos? And it's surprising to me that a lot of people don't really understand what a nano is or how small it is. So a nano is millions of a million. You can count me amongst those people. Okay. Well, a nano is one billionth of a meter cubed particle size. And we deal in that and smaller particle size in the gradient lines in this product that we call prosilico lines. Now, when you get down to particle sizes that small, you get some really interesting things happening because a process um, or property develops called a novel property. A novel property basically states that if I were to measure the length of the Atlantic coast, I'd get, what, 3,000 miles, let's say, roughly. But if I were to measure the surface area of every granule of sand on the Atlantic coast and add all those measurements up, I might get 300,000 miles of surface area. So normalized particle sizes come together and you sort of think of them like tennis balls coming together. And if I put three tennis balls together, I have three points of contact. So if I take something smaller than a tennis ball, say beans, and I fill those empty spaces, now my points of contact multiply by the points of contact of those beans. And now if I want to take grains of sand and put in there, my points of contact multiply 
So when you get on the nanoscale, what happens is particles become golf balls when you're thinking in that scale. So think of the moon as a particle and a tennis ball as a nano. Imagine all those spaces in between that could be filled up if you put a bunch of moons together, then you had a bunch of golf balls to fill up all that space in between. And that's, that's what the Nobel property affords. Uh, the typical bonds are, are known as van der Waal forces. Van der Waal forces say if you put two particles together that are alike, they'll attract each other and you get an ion. And they yeah. But you only have the strength of the bond and the contact surface area that they can create that exchange in. So if I have a very minute particle that I can fit in between the creases, I actually increase the contact surface area. If I increase the contact surface area, I increase the reactive ion exchange surface area. Does that make sense? It, it does. And as I recall, the van der Waals bonds are pretty weak. Yes, they're, well, almost everything that you work with today until you get to different scales are van der Waal bonds. And they're, they're not particularly strong. I mean, they're as strong as you know, paint yeah. to a surface. Yeah. See, you know, that you got a van der Waal property going on or a van der Waal attraction going on. So <clears throat> the difference is because we have all of this additional surface here to create basically isomer reactions. So we end up with stereoisomers in our particular case, uh, and we end up with increased numbers of stereoisomers. We end up with an anionic field, and it's a coordinated structured field. So we can literally design based on the soil type what that soil needs to create that field to keep water from entering that mass. So if you have a mass of soil from a mine and water can't get in it, you don't have really a medium for much chemical exchange behavior. Also, if water can't get in that field, if it doesn't go in osmotically or just leach in, then nothing can leach out because there's nothing to leave that field. So that's the premise of our material. So we take tailings or soil from wherever it comes from, analyze the soil and then design our system around the needs of that soil to meet structural value and stop leaching from that soil So did this start out in transportation like road stabilization or did it go right to mining? Well, we were dealing with uh, delta stabilization, road stabilization, dust control, mud control, all the, all the basics uh, of construction type stabilization that you run into. And we're very effective with it. Um, we're a little bit more expensive up front than some of those kinds of technologies, but the life cycle costing is tremendous because our half-lives are insane for this kind of material. Right. So we have up to 80-year half-lives in certain mixtures with soil. Oh, that's amazing. And how did it occur to you to make the jump to tailings? Well, it's just a natural progression when you're looking for markets. So the road market is saturated with a whole bunch of people putting topical materials down, trying to control dust or trying to control mud. So for us to go in and go head to head with somebody putting down, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if I want to name any names here. So just other chemistry, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to slight anyone. So other types of chemistry that last anywhere from three to six months versus our, which is topical versus our in situ material, which is an engineered in situ process that that goes to depth. So and the depth could be nominal to you know a couple of feet if they depending on what they're looking for at that earthen structure site. So it was just a logical leap to go from, and, and a natural leap to go from a commodity market to a market where everybody wins. We can save tons of money for mines and liability, tons of money for mines and fine, give them a lot longer life cycle and structure, and our materials are spot patchable. So if we have a small spot that they have an issue with, they can go in and spot repair it. You're not, you're not inclined to have to redo a whole berm wall just repair the spot that you have an issue with. Uh, we don't really have, haven't seen many issues in our test cycles. Um, we're new technology to the mining industry, so we don't have a lot under our belt in terms of actual projects because the mining industry, as I'm sure you know, takes a while to get used to an idea and sort of snuggle up to it. So um, that's the phase right. we're in now is getting people aware of the technology, comfortable with the technology, and so we have a ton of testing done by third parties um, to basically run the front runner of our proofs of technology. Uh, and we've, you know, we've done some small berm bases and things like that in uh, New Mexico for flood control and things like that out of just sand. And we turned sand so hard that utility vehicles had no problem driving up and down it for months on end. Huh. Yeah, Brian, the one thing that really uh, blew my mind on this when talking uh, to some of the mining guys is there, there's a big issue with the classification of the material. You know, if it's too small, they can't they can't get it to bind, they can't get it to stabilize. Uh, with us, really, the classification and too small does not matter. So, how do you how do you blend your product into? Uh, whatever it is, tailings, for example, how do you get it to? So there's there's two processes. We can induct, a, a lot of mines are pumping their tailings and they're using those pumps to create the tailing berm. Yeah. And we can actually go in, in line and have it mixed in line into the process so it comes out. And then they simply have to compress it once it's at site and just roll it. Yeah. And there are a variety of styles of rolling equipment for slopes, for flats, etc. Flat surfaces like mine roads or roads in general or road bases, we can actually create about 1.3 miles of lane per day with an eight-guy crew with about the same number of pieces of equipment. So it's highly cost-effective in terms of speed of application. And the material, the minute it's placed, it's trafficable. And so it becomes structural when it's placed. It does cure, gets more structural over the cure period but it's functional as placed. Have, have you thought about injecting this into existing tailings deposits? So you wouldn't inject it into the deposit. You would, and, and you don't need to do the entire deposit, <laughs> okay? Water comes basically from the atmosphere in most cases, and in some cases you get rising groundwater. If we create a barrier surface around an existing berm with this material using the berm that's in place, water can't get into that berm, so no water in, no leach out. 
So then the only water that can get in is whatever the water table is that allows leach up of the ground water that's there. So you, and once you leach whatever is in the base of, let's say you have one of these huge mile by mile mounds, once you leach whatever is in that base down, there's nothing left to leach. So you've exhausted that mound's leach approach if you've covered the mound with the material or berm. So is this potentially applicable to closure and cover design? So just the the last few feet of a tailings you deposit? You can use it for the final cover. That's probably an extremely appropriate design. You can go to pre-existing uh, sites that have been abandoned and you can cover all of those sites and stop all of that leaching. Um, any of the Superfund sites, it would be applicable at. Um, if you design it into new berms, you can literally, we, we have online, you can see them, uh, propose some designs that change the physics of a berm. So it changes the mobility structure due to forces that happen when you start loading water into a berm um, that change the direction basically of the pressure so that what happens is when it's trying to expand from the inside, the forces are forced down to ground and the, the base that we propose that they put in these berms shifts the pressure down into earth. So that instead of pushing on just the, the berm wall, you're, pushing, you're trying to push the earth. And so it gives greater strength at the base of the berm where the failures typically happen from the base to some portion of the way up of a berm. It, it actually, you're using the earth to, to push back uh, in those designs. Now, if you take that design and incorporate our material into it, you have a structural base, uh, much like a building, and it's, it's just not gonna go anywhere easily. It's gonna take a lot more than what we've seen in the last few years on these big berm failures. Hmm, okay. Okay, well, it's, that's really good, very intriguing. It's, and so what kind of research has been done on your product? Well, so they've done Atterberg testing, they've done compressive strength testing, and they've compared it to geopolymers and Portland cements. And you can find the white papers at our website under technical papers, prosileco.com and that's ECCO. Um, so we have compression tests in there, we have absorption tests, we have submersion tests uh, against those other materials. And those are, are pretty interesting submersion tests. Um, actually, material Portland cement, uh, geopolymers in our material and submerged them for 72 months. Uh -huh. Uh, every quarter took them out for about 168 hours and then resubmerged them. Um, so we did that once a year for, or, or we, let's see, we, let me get this straight. Once a quarter, we pulled them out, let them expose them to air for 168 hours, then put them back in. At two, 24 months, the geopolymers completely dissolved. At 48 months, the Portland cement materials dissolved. This, the, the 72 months ended uh, in January of this year, and this is one of the samples of it. This is sample six. And as you can see, still intact. No yeah. material damage yeah. to the structure. Right. So that kind of testing has been done 
Uh, and then leachate testing in parts per million and in parts per billion. Um, we found with the geopolymers and the Portland cement, well, we didn't find actually, University of Arizona found, um, that with geopolymers, they actually promoted leaching. Portland cement actually, after a period, promoted leaching. Uh, and then we put our material through the TCLP test, but instead of the 18 hours of tumbling and 72 hours of exposure, we did the tumbling and 30 days of exposure testing for leachates every 12 hours after the 72 hours. And we, the, the material we tested only had seven of the eight, uh, RICRA eight metals in it. And we basically contained at or below the allowable limits of the EPA, the RICRA, seven of those RICRA eight metals. And that information, again, is at our website under the technical tab. So approximately, what is the timing between adding your product and the material becoming stabilized? Or do you have to compact it? To it's, sta it's stabilized once you compact it. All it does is increase its stabilization over 28 days. It'll go from about 300 and something PASI all the way to uh, 12, over 1200 PSI with a very small percentage of our material. The higher percentage, the higher it goes. We can get it up to almost 3000 PSI. Okay. So, so the reason that's possible is if you take our raw additive and you cure it, it will test out to just under like 18, 19,000 PSI. Oh. So when we dilute it with earth, there's a dilution factor, a strength, because you got earth in there. So there's an application in mining where the, there's underground mine voids, and sometimes they want to fill that void, and sometimes it's for rocket mechanics reasons, so they want to have a certain strength in the backfill. Mm -hmm. Right now, there, there's like rock backfill or cemented rock backfill. There's also what we call paste backfill and usually that's tailings that have some cement added into it mm -hmm. so do you think of an application because you can't compact it underground so can you think of a application so if you're, putting it, if you're putting it in a slurry when you pump it in under pressure it's going to self compact yeah all right so it's going to if, if you're gaining anything with portland cement you're going to gain three to five times that with this as an additive okay that's what the compression strength test told us. Okay. So yeah, you're going to get more strength. So the compaction is, if you want life cycle and you're going to be trafficking this stuff, uh, or you're going to have, say, a wind erosion factor, or a flowing water factor you want to compact it. If you're in the ground and all you're getting is static water rise, it's not as big a deal. Hmm. But well, the topicals, problems that we've mostly been talking to people about. You've got wind, you've got rain, um, and you have traffic. And all three of those things are factors that break down stabilization materials. In our case, the wind and the rain have near zero effect and traffic will have some minor effect uh, in some cases, but for the most part, not. it doesn't really.
So one of the ways that tailings is deposited is to use a thing called a cyclone. And a cyclone is just a coarse fine separator. It just uses gravity to, to divide the coarse and the fine particles. So I'm picturing a lot of the... So the, the, the coarser particles are used for the embankment. And mm -hmm. the fines are put in, inside into the impoundment. And sometimes the the sandy fraction is compacted, but I'm thinking that this might be a really good application for your product is to compact that embankment. And of course you could compact the, the what we call the slimes too, if you right. added it into that fraction. So that, that might be a really interesting application. So our, our thoughts are pretty much right along those lines. You don't really need to compact the beach or contain the beach as you're building the perm. Really, you want the perm walls to have the strength. Um, pretty much from what we found is they want the beach to leach the yeah. water out so they can control the water and then treat it and return it right? Um, or whatever their process. But what they don't want is they don't want that berm to move and they don't want stuff leaching out through the berm to the ground to get spread far and wide out of their control of the mine property. So as a company, you know, we sort of look at this whole mining puzzle as a, it, it's a puzzle that belongs to the whole of humanity. Mining affects greater than 60% of the global GDP. If we remove mining, we're all living in caves. Right. I don't think anybody out there, no matter how radical they can be on these issues, wants to go live in a cave. No, there's not enough caves so, to go around. So we, we as as an industry, we have to take responsibility to say, okay, this issue belongs to all of us, and how do we work together to solve the issue? Yeah. That's really, really our philosophy. Well, that's great. So, so the take for us is that in products are going to end up in our opinion, over time, they're either going to end up with a tariff for imports of companies that aren't using a technology like this to make sure their mining is clean. Um, mines that use it are going to get a tariff break, probably, or, or product companies that use it that can prove they're getting their materials come from whoever's making them, come from a raw material from the mines that's following the uh, standards process, etc. So I think you're going to see across the board, even though there's going to be a cost to do this, ultimately it's going to get paid by all of us through consumption um, in a variety of different ways. So the key really is if we all take responsibility and work together, the problem gets solved. The problem gets solved, the cost gets spread, and everybody's happy, and everybody has a reason to go to work every day because they're going to have a job tomorrow because the mine company's making money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 really good. So, Tall, where do we go from here? What's what's the next step or the first step or or what? Well, we've submitted uh, abstracts for the uh, tailings and waste convention, uh, and we've submitted our paper. It's under review. So we expect we will be presenting our technology at that convention in November. Yeah. Uh, the SME convention has requested that we submit our papers for presentation at that convention. We're working with the tailing standards people. Uh, there was a big webinar in London, and Jim, you can speak to that.
probably better than I can about who they are because you were heavily involved in that. Uh, but we're yeah. working with the chairman of that group to uh, evaluate our materials to get in the standard they're setting. We're also working with uh, Priscilla Nelson, um, and she apparently has uh, approached us to get involved with a standards group or center, I think it's called a center for tailings excellence. Yeah. Uh, and go through that process. And then there's a group out of Georgia Tech uh, that Jeff can talk about that we're talking with as well that are working towards everyone coming together on a livable standard that makes sense uh, that from what we understand, it, it's it's got to meet some criteria of has to make sense, has to be doable, has to be reasonable, and has to have a way basically to cost recover so that it's a win-win for everybody. Yep, yep. No, that, that's great. Then maybe, Jim, you could tell us a little bit about the standard. Yeah, yeah. The Global uh, uh, Tailing Standards Review is what it's called, and um, uh, they're, they're out of London. And it seems like a lot of, when you look at the, the mining industry, uh, it, it's the old adage, follow the money kind of a thing. A lot of the investors that invest in mining companies all over the world, that's where they're located. And um, the insurance companies also, there's an, an organization over there called IMIU, uh, Insurance uh, uh, Underwriting Organization. And this is a kind of a conglomerate of a lot of the, the biggest insurance companies in the world who insure the mines. And they're trying to manage and stabilize the risk that's involved in these tailings and especially after what happened down in Brazil with all the people that were killed and um, over I think it was just under 300 people uh, that were buried in that town when that tailing exploded and these are little ticking time bombs all over the world really and and in the United States even though relatively speaking we're not a big mining industry here there's only two of the we only have two of the largest mining companies in the world out of the top 50 48 of them are outside the united states so uh this organization is trying to put some common sense to a standard that's going to make sense and and of course eventually be enforceable somehow and they're trying to put a lot of pressure on uh governments and put a, pr a lot of pressure on the investors who are investing in these mining companies and uh, trying to get them to come up with a common sense approach to making sure that that tailing is going to be is going to be safe, and we feel that this technology is is a good start uh, to be a part of that to, to keep it safe. So we've gotten their attention, and they're very very interested in ProSilico. Oh, that's terrific! That that's terrific. This is really uh, a very interesting technology and application. So I hope, hope it's got legs, and I hope that there are some. Uh, applications for it coming up soon. Sure. Well, maybe. we're pending one with the EPA right now. Um, we're just waiting for the uh, DC headquarters to give the project manager on that site permission for us all to go to site due to the COVID process. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's been some real barriers just getting to the site to get samples uh, so that we can formulate for them. Um, so uh, we've got things moving, they're just slowed down just due to the current climate that we're in with the COVID threat. Um, but we're, we're actually 
pretty excited about the forward momentum we've gotten even through this period of time. Um, we're getting contacted by a lot of people. We're contacting a lot of people. Our sales team is very engaged. And uh, frankly, I was surprised we were able to get as far as we've gotten over this last <laughs> six, seven months. So it's been amazing. Yeah, well, good. good. Well, it looks like we're about up against the clock here, but do you have any parting words of wisdom for us or any indication of, of a site that this might be used at, you know, on a larger scale or, or anything you can leave with us? Well, I just mentioned the EPA site. That's a slope, fairly large size. We don't have full dimensions yet. Uh, again, back to the barrier of COVID that we're faced with for that site. Um, we are working with uh, some people at the Washington Group, and we're working with some people at Midas Gold. Um, Jeff's working with some folks as well. Jeff, you can maybe step in here. Um, yeah, we um, having some talks with uh, the Pebble Project people. Um, and then um, just this week, I actually con made contact with Christopher from the tail end, the tail end industrial waste engineering. Um, I actually reached out to him because I saw that he was into the experimenting and stuff. So yeah, that's, we're that's Chris Berther. Yes. Yeah. So okay. we are actually talking next week and um, looking at setting up where he can do some stuff in the lab so he can see, you know, what it is. What what I'm really finding out on the sales side is you, the more confirmation from here, here, and here is is what everybody's looking for because uh, the mining is a tight-knit community, um, just like the roofing community we came from. So I was like, with him, as soon as I seen these experimenting guys, like, hey, let's get in there. Let's, let's get another set of eyes on it. So, you know, just the more um, confirmation of what it can do is, you know, better for us in a whole. Oh yeah, for sure, and it, it looks a lot less like snake oil when there's right. more and more institutions that say this is this is the real deal. Right. So, so approximately, I know it varies from from uh, material to material, but approximately, how much of your product has to be used in, say, a ton or a cubic yard, or or uh, so it can it can literally be anywhere from one percent to 30 percent yeah very rarely have actually we've never actually had to go size 30 percent the high but but i suspect we will at some point the highest percentage we've ever done is about 23 percent okay and that's by weight a lot of things range down in uh, 18 16 and then the next level tends to be in the 11 12 and then down in the five six seven and then on a rare occasion one to three percent Okay. Okay. Well, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. So it's not, it's not, it's not really, so we've been working with companies like M3 Engineering. Yeah. And they've, they've told us our cost per ton isn't particularly out of line in, in terms of treatment. So, um, and, and it'll range, you know, anywhere from maybe less than 50 cents all the way up to say $4 and 20 cents or something like that. But it's not particularly expensive when you spread the cost over the daily harvested tons. It's just not very much because you're not treating 100% of the tons. A tonnage, you're only treating the percentage that you're broom building with. The rest of it doesn't have to be treated. Right. Or pond, or pond building. It can also be used in the lawn. Yeah. 
it might be interesting to see if you can combine your product with other additives like cement or fly ash or diatomaceous earth and see if there's a an optimal mixture of different additives we can well we've actually done those experiments and so far all we found is we don't gain any properties we just gain cost yeah oh gain so, cost okay i'm looking yeah. at reducing cost. <laughs> that doesn't seem to, yeah it doesn't seem to be helping the problem so yeah right huh okay interesting well oh and, and we're, we're again we're not particularly expensive when you look at it from a gamma standpoint and then if you look at the life cycle of the material so you know we've done road bases we've done some uh flood control bases actually we have a video of the starting of a flood control base online on our website under the road section um, so you can kind of see it being put down and it takes very little material and very little effort that's a small site so everything was done by hand uh, as far as this laying the material out but the mixing was all done with equipment okay well terrific because it was only uh, that base, I think, was 150, 160 feet. So it didn't make sense to take a lot of big equipment out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it seems like... It didn't take any time to spread the material. <laughs> yeah. It's, it seems like the future is very bright for the Postal Eco product. And hopefully uh, it advances pretty quickly. Uh, obviously, tailings are under a pretty strong global microscope right now. And uh, products like this are very much in in our bullseye as as tailings designers. We feel that uh, we don't know how it happened, but, <laughs> but we feel the timing of of our emergence of this level of the technology is almost like a hand came from the skies and placed it on the project <laughs> with all the things going on it's just how can yeah. you have so much need and the technology meet at an apex that's just as it, the whole thing emerges it's just incredible right. I mean, yeah. we'd like to say with that was our idea and we designed it that way but <laughs> nothing could be further from the truth <laughs> right right okay well guys i think we will leave it at that uh for now and i really appreciate you coming coming on the podcast and getting me just a little smarter well we appreciate your interest in us and uh, thank you for inviting us it's uh, been a great pleasure Uh, thanks Brian thanks so much yeah Yeah. and thanks for your time and uh, have a great rest of your day and I hope you have a nice weekend all right likewise stay safe oh you too stay safe out there all right bye bye I forgot to ask anybody about their contact information. You can find that at their website, ProSealEco.com. And there you can find out more information about them and other ways to contact them. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.